From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is writer, director, and visual effects artist Nicholas Ash Bateman. He is the mind behind the upcoming sci-fi fantasy epic The Wanting Mare, which is his feature film debut. Terry and I were lucky to see this at Chattanooga Film Fest last year, so we're excited to talk to him. Oh yeah, we are. Welcome to the show, Nicholas! Thank you so much. Wow, what a wonderful introduction. Thank you, guys. <laughs> if you can't tell, we're obsessed with you. So. <laughs> well, good. I've been scouring all your reviews so it's a, uh, it's um, a mutual love <laughs> so just to start off um the wanting there isn't necessarily horror but like how did you get into genre film yes definitely not horror. also the question of genre related to the wanting there is is this uh thing that is just constantly terrifying me because I'm, I'm, ter- I'm terrified i'm gonna uh you know, missell the movie to people because it is, it's a strange duck, definitely, to, to 
uh, qualify or quantify rather. So, okay, before you answer how to get in a horror, then mm-hmm. I, I have a question. Then, what do you consider yeah. the genre for the wanting Mary? Oh, I I think I consider it a fantasy. I think that's okay. probably my. Um, I don't know if that's accurate though. That's just what I okay. prefer to consider. I call, I'm but, sorry. I called it a sci-fi fantasy oh, at the beginning. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh no, that's quite all right. No, no. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, it, it's. Um, more so, it's I think a kind of an interesting problem because I, yeah. the the different versions of it and whatever genre qualification it has is probably indicative of me, you know, loving a bunch of these different genres and 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 trying to find some you know through line between them. Um, and I'm just I'm a huge fantasy fan, and I, I guess oh, yeah. know, like everyone else, I saw you know the Lord of the Rings when I was. Uh, a kid and it just had just such a a huge effect on me on like anything else and it was i was the perfect i'm 31 so i was one i was in i was in sixth grade at the time so it was like sort of perfect and i remember the whole day like i remember what i ate before i saw it like what we did you know when i came home and i i i keep saying this to people but it was it's funny to think about that i saw it and didn't really think about it like it was a movie I, 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 even though I obviously was like very aware it was a film, but I, I really was upset that I, I couldn't be there. So that oh was, God. you know, that was like, and that feeling is so strong. And I think, um, you know, even though it's funny and it's sweet and nostalgic, it's also it's, whatever that desire is, has certainly aged with me in a, in a way that is trying to figure out, you know, everything that's strange about the movie is me trying to accommodate that feeling. Yeah. Uh, gr- growing up, you know, and, and trying to make a movie that seems to, you know, I'm trying to have my cake and eat it too. I guess, <laughs> I <keep> saying, <laughs> like I'm trying to make a movie that applies to me, but I'm also trying to make the, you know, the, through the wardrobe as much as I can. You know, it, it what you're talking about kind of reminds me because I'm, I, I'm, I'm 40. So like I grew up in, in the eighties. And so mm-hmm. I, I was also a huge fantasy nerd in in like the eighties growing up with mm-hmm. like, we had the, the, the kind of cell shaded cartoon of Lord of the Rings. And we oh, had yeah. the, uh, that, that original cartoon of the Hobbit. So like, right. those were like my entry points kind of into the, the more cinematic realm of, of like fantasy. Cause like I, right. I grew up reading a lot of fantasy books. My mom loved fantasy. So I got a lot of mm-hmm. hand-me-downs from her. And yeah. So like that, I, I, I can't imagine it's, it's so exciting to think about the fact that, that you got to see, Lord of the Rings, the new one, when you were so young. I, I always I wonder what that would have been like. So that's that's kind of cool. I also yeah. saw it when I was young. Um, <sighs> I'm, you twi- I'm 27. <laughs> and I every year when it came out, I would go in the, the go to see it in the theater multiple times. And like every oh, single yeah. one. But the first one, I had a similar experience where I was like, I want to go to there. Like I would <laughs> yeah, like yeah. to live in this universe. So it was a magical experience. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, also my relationship with like horror movies is sort of late. Um, okay. In that, I, they just terrified me when I was a kid. Okay. And I kind of avoided them. Aside from my aunt, who forced horror movies upon my mom, <laughs> I would go over. Yeah, like literally, she my, she took my mom to see uh, Night of the Living Dead at a drive-in, and my mom like talks about it as though it's like a current movie that she's like oh that that movie i like, can't think about that movie <laughs> like, scarred oh her. my but god I, I scarred her for life <laughs> I, yeah literally i used to go over to her house and my you know my aunt was like 
had video games and ice cream and hot dogs and would just like watch movies all day with me. It was like the greatest thing. And she, and I was like 13. She was like, what do you know about the Halloween movies? I'm like, oh. nothing. She's like, let's go. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. my God. So it started as like me being like, I, you know, I don't know. Like a, I was terrified, but I was like, she, she almost was like making me watch it. And now I, now it's, you know, I just can't. I love horror movies. I like one any, any horror movie I can find. I'd almost rather. It's embarrassing how much I prefer watching horror movies to. I don't know whatever the other very like, you know, the Criterion Collection <laughs> that I should be watching. <laughs> like what's this new scary movie? So I love horror. Yeah. So did you get into horror like watching Halloween with your aunt? Is like that kind of when you started, or did that scared the shit out of you? <laughs> I think so. It did. Okay. I mean, it was like it was interest. You know, in like my brain at the time, I was like very interested by the idea that like mm-hmm. this thing just scared the hell out of me. Uh, and then I kind of, I think I kind of danced around it for a while, but I don't know, like something, I guess something did happen at a certain point where I was like, mm. I want all the horror movies I can, I can find. But I do remember watching like the ring and that just, you know, being, that still is like one of my favorite horror movies ever. One it's of my so favorite good. movies. It's really um, good. And, uh, the, and Candyman, which I remember thinking Ooh. Candyman was was made by like a like a consciously evil presence. I was like deeply <laughs> upset by the movie. But the Sixth Sense is like inst- literally instantly when you guys were like, "Do you have a movie?" I was like, "It's a Sixth Sense." Um, oh, did I just did I totally? Oh blow no, that? It, oh, okay. It's, it, it's, in the, it's in the title of the podcast. <laughs> oh so. yeah. like, I don't know if we were doing like a drum roll or something. No. <laughs> yeah. So was the Sixth Sense your first horror movie, or what? Do you remember what your first horror movie was? <laughs> I don't remember what my first horror movie. I mean, okay. it may very well have been Halloween. I also I was trying to sort of figure out today, and I I was it. You know, it could have been easy. I could have googled it in five seconds. But I was like, how <laughs> old was I when I saw The Sixth Sense? And it keeps coming in and out of my head today, and I haven't quite figured that answer out. But it came out um, ninety nine. Ninety nine. Okay, so that makes sense. So I probably that's actually crazy. I'm younger than I thought I was, and whatever this memory is. I I don't know. I'm well. No, I think I I, I kind of imagine it was actually later than that. That's interesting. But um, then it may be very well. Like it, that that might be kind of the beginning of it. Yeah. Um. So as an adult, what what do you think kind of draws you to uh, genre films or, or horror in in particular? Well, I I mean I uh, I I mean. How do I describe it? I, I am, am like a like a self styled vampire sometimes, so that's one way to describe. It. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from I'm from Baltimore. And I Wait, up, I what? Mean, You're from Baltimore? I am from Baltimore. No yeah. shit, I'm from Baltimore. Yeah. I'm like I live in Maryland oh, really? right now. I'm born and oh, raised. Wait, where in Maryland are you? I'm from Annapolis. Um, oh, amazing! But I'm I live in Silver Spring right now. This is incredible. I, I I grew up in Towson, so I'm from Towson. No so, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I dropped out of Towson College, by the way. Ooh. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a Towson College. Wait, college. that's so cool. Towson I was born in Baltimore. I spend a lot of time in Baltimore. Oh, weird yeah. and cool. Well, it's. I mean, this is actually probably this is a more interesting version of this, which is that as you know, like my you know elementary school experience growing up in Maryland is like you read Edgar Allan Poe for me it was I remember they took us like on a field trip to see um like a company of of actors doing like a medley of Edgar Allan Poe stories and they did like um 
the telltale heart. And I remember just like sort of being a kid looking around and being like, guys, like I'm, this is inappropriate. <laughs> like, like I'm like deeply uncomfortable and you guys are like probably responsible for this. Like I remember like having a real feeling of looking at the adults being like, this has gone too far. Um, what is so, wrong with you? Yeah, like I was like, this is absurd. Like this must be stopped. I'm not going to sleep. So, um, yeah, so I mean that's part of it. I, I just love you know all of that stuff. I mean it's like Edgar Allan Poe and uh, you know I would prefer to live in like a Victorian Gothic novel. So it's, Hell it's yeah. like a pretty easy extension for me. To, Hell you know. yeah! So yeah. do you ever feel? Do you ever still feel that childhood horror when like childhood fear when you're watching horror? I know for a lot of people like us who watch horror, it's hard to kind of chase that high. But right. you, do you still ever experience that? Yeah, it is. It is a feeling of like, I don't really like spicy food, but I have just heard from people who like spicy food that they're just now like chained to the idea of looking for that sweet kick, you know? And it's a, <laughs> yeah. So I, I imagine it's something like that, but I do. I mean, I get little bits of it sometimes. What am I, I'm trying to remember the last thing that scared me. I mean, I we watched Host and obviously <laughs> mm-hmm. like, yeah. The, yeah. the scares in that are like, are, you know. Perfectly executed. Um, perfectly executed and like and and like deeply dark. You know what I mean? Like just sort of like hopeless. Like a yeah. hopeless sort of feeling will really get me. Um okay. what what else I don't know. I'm trying to think of things that have really scared me lately. I feel like there's something that I'm very clearly missing, I can't remember. But it's it's, you know, rarer than I would like. The things that really upset me are um I mean, I'm not like a big gore person, but okay. stuff that upsets me are things that's like, I don't know, they're almost like brain worms or something, like images or mm, ideas that are just okay. like, oh, that's like deeply st- strange, which is probably uh, why the sixth sense is like stuck with me. They're like uh, moments of that, which I just are like, you know, burnt into my mind. But yeah, I've watched um, The Wailing like five times in the past like, oh, two years. That is such oh, a good movie. It's so good. Yeah. And I'm just I mean, I could talk about that movie for hours because I'm just absolutely in awe of it. But um, that movie has moments where you're like, that's like a perfect movie to me, you know, on an entertainment level and like an execution level. Yes, it's um, gorgeous. It's so epic, too. It's just, I'm just, you know, and I'm going to try my best to not get on a wailing tangent here, but like, <laughs> I'm just, I can't, I, can, I just can't stop talking about the idea that this movie just switches halfway through. Yeah. Like, it's like, it's yep. like a broad, like, physical comedy. And, and I, and now I rewatch it to be like, when does it actually change? And it's like in the span of 30 seconds where like yes. the whole movie is like literally takes a turn and, and it is like high you know tragedy at that point mm-hmm. and just i mean i i love melodrama and you know um, it's i i just i adore that movie that's so one of the things i love about korean horror cinema and korean genre films in particular is is that they can like they, they don't stay in one genre or one subgenre, and so they can like they're they're very playful and they do turn on a, almost a moment's notice into yeah. something that's like absolutely terrifying i had that feeling watching parasite where it's like mostly you know the beginning is sort of like a a family drama family comedy and then there's a point where it just like flips and you're like oh i'm unprepared for this new direction right yeah it just is like oh you know it's just such an amazing i I wonder what that is in in you know i just don't know enough about it but there's definitely there must be some sort of um 
you know, cultural connection mm-hmm. to how closely mm-hmm. like comedy and horror is. And yeah. similarly, like I, I remember I read something years ago that I, I con- I'm constantly thinking about of the difference between like, you know, Japanese horror, for example, and American horror, which is like, you know, if we close our eyes, we're like Ed Gein's in a house somewhere in Japan. It's like the ghosts are living on top of each other in the metropolis. You know, it's, it's like right? yeah. things like that are, are just so interesting to me, like cultural expressions of horror. Um, oh, yeah. I, I don't know whatever that says about us. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think about that a lot when I watch Japanese horror. I watched The Suicide Club by Sion Sona the other day, and I was like, what in the hell is this oh, I movie? I haven't seen that. I it's very that. weird, but it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, it's very, very wild. But anyway, I digress. So <laughs> let's talk about The Wanting Mare. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, just to start out, so for our listeners mm-hmm. who might not be familiar with the film, can you just give us a, a little, tell our listeners a little, about, a little bit about the movie? uh sure yeah it's um see this is so fun because i really have a real impulse to just completely lie and be like it's about a bunch of people who steal cars and they <laughs> drive them as fast as they can um, but... it's, about, it's, it's, it's about cowboys because there's a wanting yeah. mare they're yeah, yeah, chasing yeah. a horse yeah so i can just sell whatever at this point the movie's done so i could be like you know it's about um, oh my god! So a, a collection of high stakes bank robbers, but okay. So the Wanting <laughs> Mayor is um, a film that I have been actively making for the past five years. I'm sorry, I'm just I'm, I'm just imagining people like going into this movie now and thinking, "Where's the Rock? Where's the when's the Rock going to show <laughs> yeah, up?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Just you wait. I got some serious cameos in this thing. But... <laughs> he crawls out of the ocean like these beautiful ocean scenes, and he yeah. literally crawls up on the rocks and starts like doing his eyebrow thing anyways well, i mean like, part of this joke is like a, it's it's funny to me because like the the you know there is like some truth to it because it is a far stranger movie than like some of the like pop culture coverage that it's received like, it's just in a sort of very specific visual container but it is a bizarre strange movie and it is funny to me that like you know people are on youtube are like getting recommended it in between like watching like uh like cyberpunk 277 videos and they're like and then let me talk about this like 90 minute strange haunting quiet drama where no one talks um so you know that is like very funny to me it also is funny to me because i am not you know i i i I don't i don't like live on like bergman's island or something like i'm also watching the 277 videos <laughs> you're like also be yeah. like i'm also making this very strange movie so it is very funny to me um, is that weird when you are watching youtube and an ad for your movie comes up it's or, uh, I, yeah you're I like mean, it is that's me it's like the leonardo dicaprio pointing yeah. meme you're yeah, like it's, hey. it's so crazy that's it's so really funny. crazy i saw the apple tv listing for the first time last week and I just was like, because I guess it's like live on Apple TV, which that's a nice little plug. It's live on Apple TV. There you um, go. But it was, uh, uh, you know, the still in the trip. I don't know if you guys know this. I've tried to hide this. You, it's probably, I think it's not very hard to hide, but I am also in the movie. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> okay. We actually I, I talked could... about that before. We were like, yeah, yeah. wait, <laughs> he is. Oh, yeah. that's him. <laughs> yeah, I tried very hard to like do actually like actively act as though that's not me for a bunch of reasons, but it, it it's um getting harder to maintain. So this morning I took some and they were, and they I could tell like the first fifteen seconds they were like 
that's wait a second. <laughs> I was like, yes, I this is I have hid this piece of information from you. But um, <laughs> well, you've also hidden it on, or someone has an IMDb where it says that you're an actor in it, but it doesn't yeah. it doesn't say I who you're to, playing. I had to add it. Oh, really? Yeah, I had to add it last week, but it wasn't on there until last week. Okay, so, yeah, it doesn't say but, who, who you're playing, but it does say you're in it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's anyone's guess, really. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, yeah. There was a, the, the Apple TV listing had like a random still from the trailer, and of course, the random still from the trailer was like me just standing there, and then I like paused <laughs> for a second, and like went and let my dog out and walked back in, and uh, the like I guess it turned like one of the stills into like a full size, you know, screensaver or something because oh, yeah. I was on the listing, and walked in, and I was like, this is just so bizarre. It's <laughs> truly so bizarre. But anyway. Um, so I still have avoided this. The Wanting Mare is a movie. Here we go. Uh, that I've been working on actively for about five years and um, inactively for about ten years. And it is about. Um, it takes place in a fictional world called Unmare, which is my world that I all my stories happen in um, in my head. And it takes place in a small city called Withrin um, in that world, and it follows. Um, uh, basically a, a, a nightmare that these women are passing and inheriting um, from mothers to daughters and sort of this generational consequence of that nightmare and also the relationships that they have because of it and in spite of it. And um, so it's, it's, it's a strange revolving thing of, of these women and uh, dreams and horses or a horse, really. I wish I had. I wish it was horses, but I, <laughs> we were able to get one horse. In. Um, and yeah, so it's it's it's. I was, you know, I used to tell people way before we made the movie. I was like, it's like if Wuthering Heights and Casablanca could happen together. Oh wow! Um, oh, that's that's actually a very apt. Yeah, yeah. It, I, takes, it takes away some of the fun. Like, oh, it's Wuthering Heights and Casablanca. Okay, I get it now. <laughs> yeah. I was, I've been describing this movie as the movie that takes place outside of like a fantasy epic. It's like the NPCs in a fantasy yeah. video game. <laughs> like, so funny. That you said. That's our joke this past week because the, oh, you're trailer serious? Was on, the trailer was on IGN. So on YouTube. <laughs> and so we keep being like, are the reviews are now going to be like, you know, very underdeveloped NPCs are like, oh, no. <laughs> oh no, that is so, no, that is not what I meant though. I was no, like, no, no, this, I is, this is this is the movie that I've always wanted that tells the story of the people in the fantasy world, not just the heroes going off on an epic right. journey, but lets you really sit in the fantasy world and follow these yeah. quieter stories and really get to know the lifestyles of people who live here yeah. and experience the world as just people. That was, I mean, that's the hope. The hope was both consciously aware that like we were going to make a movie for with very little resource, and also the hope was to get other people interested in the movie. Um, so there's that happening, and then at the same time, there's also whatever my actual creative instinct is, which you know, over when you make something for like a very long period of time, for me, it's it becomes very hard to. Especially if it's the first thing. It, 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 now looking at it, I can see that it is. it was impossible to make any choice that wasn't like my – the like center emotional core of like my existence, you know? Like mm-hmm. all of the like, oh, it would be fun to do this or it would be fun to do that. Like those are the things that you – that try to happen in 10 years. But then 
if you keep rewriting the script and you keep trying to shoot scenes and everything, like the only stuff that really stays are like just a couple few, few things that mm-hmm. are like just really, really imbued with this meaning. Um, and I think that's kind of how the movie happened, but also my interest in it as a, you know, obsessive genre fan, I also was trying to remove what I felt like were all of the signposts of like a, here's it, here's your new fantasy world. Like, mm. let me, let me tell you the rules. Here's how this works. And here's how that works. And all of that stuff, I described it this morning when I was, I was talking about, um, you know, I listen to music all day and I will actively listen to music that sort of allows me to be in a flow and be like, I don't necessarily know where I am in reference to the rest of the music. And in some way I wanted the movie to do that. I wanted to remove all of the stuff expositionally or, you know, introduction wise that would make you say, um, Oh, this is set up. So, like, you know, you guys have seen the movie, and I don't think this is a, a spoiler, but, like, you could probably, in the course of, like, a day, figure out a way to make that movie, like, on steroids for your first viewing. In terms of, like, really just, like, oh, I'm going to give this piece of information, I'm going to give that, and then we're going to have this big reveal, and, you know, the waterworks are going to happen. And that's the sort of stuff that we I really kind of just didn't want to do, because um, I wanted people to be able to enter into it drop in kind of wherever you wanted and follow it back around to that point. And that, I think that's the Wuthering Heights thing because that my hope was if you did enough of that, you could achieve something that very actually in a like natural sense had like a, a real sense of mystery and aliveness and you could, it just wouldn't get old. Well, it's one of the things that yeah. I really liked about, about this movie is that it does feel kind of merging the, what both of you were saying. It does feel like, we're given a story in this world and it's the, mm. the, the impetus is not to explain how this world works, how everything is going together, how this, how this city vice, the city that's covered in like snow operates. It's, it's to tell a story that happens to be set in this fantastic world. And there right. might be other stories set in this world. Yeah. And I, I, for, for, for someone that grew up reading a lot of fantasy novels, I love that. I love that approach. And that's, yeah. that's what really like immediately, pulled me into this story yeah well that's wonderful to hear i, I think it also is like you know if there is i don't think this is a spoiler but if there is like a dramatic conflict to the movie if some if someone were to like come up a list of being like what am i moved by like what am i trying to get resolved uh, for me as a viewer for me like i would have very high on the top of the list it would be like a rhetorical question of if magic existed once and if there was like a time of magic and myth and all these things were happening if that if we can actually say that that happened how does that affect my life here now with you and uh i think the movie generationally is following people's relationship to that question at different points in their life Uh, you know if i'm younger i really have no need of changing all the rules of aging and dying and all these things that in a fantasy world um, are taken for granted. You know, I'm, I'm always saying like, if you have a world where there are dragons, you presumably also have a world where someone could figure out a way to maybe die 20 minutes later than they would have. Otherwise what happens in those 20 minutes? Um, And that, that's like the stuff that moves me about the movie. I think you, I think the movie really is about a bunch of people thinking about this question. Yeah. Um, And uh, 
Yeah. So I, I like questions. I, I, I get very terrified of answers. So I, I like when <laughs> people are running around asking questions. Um, do you plan on creating more stories in this world? I do. Yeah. I, I have um, zero desire to do anything else. Hell <laughs> so yeah. I, I, um, the, I, I mean, I currently, uh, the, the stuff that I would like to make next is, is pretty different from this. Um, okay. I don't, I think it would be hard. I don't, I, it'd be impossible for me to replicate the experience of the wanting mare and also for me to pull apart the experience and the product and this, um, strange thing that we're all very, very proud of, but is, you know, its own thing. <laughs> At yeah. Some point, whatever I think about it, it, I, I, it has many people and many versions of myself and many years in it. And it's, it's, it's its own thing. Um, however, moving forward, I, I like, you know, I'm really, really interested in creating a, the consequential, uh, secondary world, you know, to use mm-hmm. someone else's phrase. And that requires, um, a, a very large amount of story and a, a very long time. <laughs> so, uh, currently that's, that's the goal. I'm, I have, uh, about a thousand pages on my desk here next to the computer that oh I'm, my God. I'm hoping to get going on. So the next one is, uh, well, we'll see. hopefully there's something, um, that I'll, I'll be able to somehow announce soon, but there's a <gasps> version of something else happening next, which I can tell you guys later, but, um, it, <laughs> uh, it would be longer and it would have, it would let me do a whole lot of stuff. And this, I have two sort of full stories, they're revolving around places in the world, not with Rin or anything related to that city again. Um, but, you know, there are cultures and politics and, mm-hmm. and commerce and trade and you know, all this sort of stuff. So the thing that it would be next is uh, uh, a war story, I think, if it has a genre. Oh. And it's a couple, couple different generations and trauma and a little a, 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 a fair amount of horror, actually, and uh, a lot of rain and stuff so we'll see hopefully a lot of rain a, i love yeah, it a lot of rain yeah it's gonna be so like, why, do, I, why don't we have this movie like right now i want to yeah I wanna, like, <laughs> that yes. sounds appropriate for this <laughs> time period I, know, I keep i keep being like man you know I, uh, how am i gonna talk to someone into me like hey you want to come shoot this movie for a year and I, you're just never gonna leave this rain machine <laughs> i'm like is there a version of these scripts i get sent out that are like you know it's actually pretty sunny out you know, like it's looking pretty good wherever this is. And then they get there. And I'm like, oh, actually, we're going to add some rain for the next eight months of your life. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, the, the the different locations and starting to kind of actually build up a world that has history and different ages and all that sort of stuff is also a fun way for me to be able to do the genres. You know, like the one yeah. is sort of hard to put a genre on because it's mm-hmm. like my you know, like my deep inner soul or whatever. I don't, I don't know, but it's, it's fun now to be like, Oh, it's a war story. This is like a great adventure. This is a hard, you know, so all of that is hopefully going to happen in this, in this uh, place. If I am lucky enough to get to make more stuff. So the other thing I wanted to focus on is the fact that, so you are a writer, a director, you're acting in this, you're an editor. You also do the visual effects. Yeah. Um, what can't you do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, math yeah. And music are the two answers. So. Um, uh, no, I mean, you know, making movies for no money is right. or you for kind very of have little to. money. 
Um, you have to, and it's also misleading because I, everyone who, all the other people that work on the movie have done like a dozen and a half things. Right. Um, so you interview like one of five of those people and that one person becomes like this amazing genius that can do all these things, but it's actually like five people who are, who are doing all the things together. So I am, um, intensely lucky that I had a group of people for years and years and years and years being like, yes, this has worth. And yes, we have no idea what this looks like. And yes, your idea sounds totally nuts. <laughs> you know, like imagine trying to explain that movie to people when I had no movie and like, it just, it would be insane. They'd be like, what is it? You're making a star Wars movie, but then I'm going to, but then it's going to be a drama. And then I'm just going to stand in front of the screen screen, like breathing. Like, what are we, what are we doing here? So, um, you know, it was a weird, weird road that I'm very lucky to have people with. So you brought up you brought up the green screen, and that's something that I yeah. I wanted to I have questions about because <laughs> sure, sure. Um, I'll be honest I yeah. I'm not typically a fan of like green screen and like the big blockbuster movies that I've seen because yeah. I don't see depth it it doesn't right. feel like I see much depth in what is being created on screen yet I watched this and there are sequences where like I was I was messaging we I watched it again this morning in prep and I was messaging oh, wow. Mary Beth and I was like okay, so is this filmed outside or where was this film? <laughs> like, I, as a visual effects person, how is how did you manage to create so much depth in your in your visual effects? Um, through a lot of trial and error is the, yeah. is the short answer. Uh, the long answer is, um, you know, I, I had a version of a movie that I wanted to make that seemed like it would wind up being The Wanting Mare, even though it was very different like nine years ago, 10 years ago and, um, had not like a lifeline in the world. Uh, so my theory was that if I could just basically work for free for anyone that had work to do, I could know somebody that makes movies, <laughs> you know, and like keep the, keep the ball in the air as long as I can. Um, and that, that's basically what I did. And of course, all of those pockets where everyone's like, we're making movies for no money and we got nobody over here in this room is always the visual effects room, you know? <laughs> so, and I was very aware that I wanted to be, you know, involved with visual effects. I loved visual effects. I, you know, watched a, a billion hours of the Lord of the Rings behind the scenes. Um, and uh, obviously the stuff I wanted to make, like there was no version of them being made without a ton of visual effects. So right. basically at a certain point it was like, there that was the work that, there was to do is to like sort of sit there on these movies and, you know, living in people's living rooms and in my car and garages and, you know, just sort of having like a, a circus life for a better part of a decade and uh, trying to spend, you know, if you remove the idea of like accountability or money or like paying for food, <laughs> you're like, well, can I live, what can I really live on for uh, six years? Then you could just watch YouTube videos all day and try to figure out how to run after effects and so that oh was boy the plan. that's my life i i <laughs> yeah. i work in after effects and that's me every day googling well, after so, effects tutorials and trying to figure yeah. out what the fuck i'm doing <laughs> let, let me know how i can help we're after effects buddies because i the movie was entirely composite in after effects wow. i cannot do even a <laughs> fraction of what you do <laughs> i'm very like basic text graphics okay, not cool. like well. be, building beautiful worlds yeah i wish yeah, i mean it's i 
like I've been, you know, if you guys know anybody at Adobe, I'm like, just let me, please, let me tell you guys what I do with this program because I'm pretty sure it's not built for this. <laughs> hey, um, I don't know what happened here, but I made a whole ass movie like <laughs> in your program. So I like imagine Adobe is, is like seeing me being like, I did this in Adobe. And they're like, no, he really did it in Nuke or he really did it in these other programs. And I'm like, no, I really, <laughs> no, no, no. But um, so, yeah. So, I mean, you know, we started. I started to be like, it's time to make this movie. I think I know enough. I probably knew about like 20% of what was required. And um, we just started started on it, you know? And it, mm-hmm. and it just took so long to figure out really, truly, like, what the stuff looks like, of what looks good, what doesn't look good. And um, the, another reason why I don't think I'm really ever going to be able to make a movie like this again is that uh, – you know, visually, like the the goal was to have a movie that was like cohesive. I wanted to have a movie that just felt complete. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very obsessive about that, as you might be able to guess visually of being like, I don't want anything that looks. I want everything to be touched. You know, mm-hmm. like, I don't right, want right. a single scene of someone where you're like, oh, that's just a normal scene, and then now we're in, you know. Oz. Right. I wanted the whole thing to just be, which is, you know, that's how you quickly lose five years of your life. But, um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that, that was, it just took a very, very, very long time. Um, to, well, I, I also kind of wondered if, if any of this, cause like I noticed when I was pulling up your IMDb page that, that you actually did, um, matte paintings, I think for, mm-hmm. um, save yourselves, which is a movie that kind of flew under the radar last year, but, um, I really liked. Yeah. And I, so I was wondering if it, did, did you start out as kind of like a painter yeah. or how all, I mean, well, all that stuff, all of those credits, like I have seen a couple people be like from a visual effects artist who did these movies now he made a movie himself incredible like no, you know like literally no one would have ever hired me to do anything <laughs> like you know which is actually how i got lucky because nobody bothered me for four four and a half years of making the movie and then at a point where i was like oh i think i got something that looks pretty good here guys that people were like oh do you want to do that over here um and i honestly was just trying to get anyone to pay attention to the movie and that was being very challenging. Um, but people were like, well, but you do know how to do all this stuff. Do you want to do this on this movie or do you want to do that? And, you know, for the first time I was like, oh, this is a job that I can take. And as I was finishing more of The Wanting Mare, I had a little bit more time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the past year has been, um, you know, a quickly escalating scale of those, of those uh, movies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I noticed you know, going from Save Yourselves to uh, The Green Knight. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, pretty awesome. Could, yeah, it's been a yeah, yeah. <laughs> sweat, sweat and bullets to be like you know that's a whole other conversation. But the, I mean, the green the green night was like a, it, an absolute dream come true. But it initially was like two shots, which then turned into like uh, you know six six months or something with Jeez. Davis, and we got to make all this crazy stuff that I have not yet seen anywhere aside from my computer. And I'm just terrified, <laughs> like, you know, because it's like all of the other people who do visual effects movies, like Weta and like huge, you know, dream companies. And I'm like, I think I, I'm like, anyway, without getting too geeky about it, but I was like, they don't, again, I was like, I'm making this an after effects. <laughs> so are, are you, are you like yeah. completely self-taught? Um. Well, yeah. I mean, you, YouTube self-taught. I didn't like. Well, yeah. I didn't like go <laughs> to the library. That's what I mean. Oh, one hundred percent. I am also no. very much like 
self-taught editor yeah. graphics and it's like oh yeah did you go to school for it i'm like nope no yeah. <laughs> sat on the internet and just yeah. figured it out <laughs> yeah i mean it's amazing amazing i'm a child of youtube seriously sure. like, though I, i'm um i love it and uh but yeah I mean, as you guys can probably tell, I'm, I'm very prone to rambling. So I, we, you might have asked me a question like an hour ago that I have not <laughs> I was just wondering if, if you got uh, the uh, like if, if part of the fact that you were a painter and you've done like oh, matte paintings yes. of that kind of contributed to the way the green screen looks more. Yeah. Lifelike. It, 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 totally. I mean, those matte paint like so, for example, in Save Yourself, the matte paint, like the first shot in the movie and then the, the last couple shots I did. Oh, those okay. Are, those are just Photoshop digital matte paintings. And that basically is the exact way in which I made the entire Wanting Mare. Like all of those elements. I don't know if this, this might be too technical, but like, you know, a lot of traditional movies that have, you know, if I were to be like, hey, I'm going to make a movie that's 75% on green screen. They'd be like, all of these sets need to be built digitally. Like 3D modelers need to model a chair and this living room or need to model this driveway. And then we're going to move a digital camera through it. We're going to light it. And, you know, that becomes like an exercise in simulations and modeling and texturing. All this sort of stuff that I 3D, 3D software had no idea how to use, really. What I did know how to do was make digital matte paintings, which would be a combination of like photographs and you know all, all kinds of different stuff basically just making whatever you can photoshop so the whole movie is digital matte paintings to the uh, to an absurd degree to where like which is now because technology is like so rapidly expanding and and developing um i would never even do this now but like there are huge sections of the movie where like the grass is a digital matte painting of grass. Wow. Because <laughs> I didn't have the ability to make 3D graphs. So oh. I was like, um, well, in, photo, in After Effects, you can make a solid layer, a flat layer 3D, which you might know from motion text, motion graphics. And I was like, well, if I tilt this layer that I painted in Photoshop that looks like grass, then that's going to be my grass layer. So like that's literally, the movie is made that way, which if it is this, if it is cohesive, um, oh, that's what I was saying. <laughs> I'll probably never be able to do this again because the movie's cohesiveness is really that, you know, three people sat in a room for five years and made the whole movie. There's no, like, distribution of labor of someone being like, well, I'm a, I am light 3D scenes and I shot it on the day. Like, the people who are, like, cutting my hair out are, like, the people who are lighting the set, the scene when we shot it. Zach Schaefer and David Ross and Jared Condes. And so it's just us in a room. And... If you do that long enough, all of the answers become the same if they're like instinctual answers. So like every mm -hmm. time I close my eyes and be like, it, the brightness and contrast setting on the sky here, do I like it at 10 or 12? Oh, you know? God, I feel that. And, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes. And, and, and when that question is replicated that many times on, on that scale, um, the movie sort of looks kind of like its own thing um i think you know regardless yeah. of whether it looks good or not but i do think it looks like its own thing and that's that's really the reason why um so now i have to be able to be like how do i replicate this and actually not do a lot of it <laughs> but you know what I mean? so adobe um, sponsor nicholas please <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. adobe yeah. he's a brand ambassador <laughs> so, yeah 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 so. um okay so we've talked about wanting mayor mm -hmm. uh so nicholas what movie 
are we talking about today? That's we're talking for about the, the sixth sense. Okay, which I've, which I've spoiled. The, the <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you live under weird. a rock and have never mm-hmm. seen the sixth sense, here is a quick synopsis. Um, young Cole, played by an adorable slash haunting Haley Joe Osment, um, can see dead can see dead people. And he is frightened by the visitations from those with unresolved problems who appear from the shadows. He is too afraid to tell anyone about this special gift, um, except for child psychologist Dr. Malcolm Crow, played by Bruce Willis. As Dr. Crow tries to uncover the truth about Cole's abilities, the consequences for client and therapist are a jolt that awakens them both to something unexplainable. Dun, dun, dun. Amazing. <laughs> Thanks, IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, Nicholas, tell yes. us... The first time you saw this, what happened? Where were you? Tell us your horror story about the sixth okay. sense. So I, I got it all for you. I, here's <laughs> what happened. I used to be lucky enough to go to Blockbuster every Friday night. Mm-hmm. And I would pick out two movies. One movie would be watched Friday night. And the second movie would be watched Saturday morning at like 7 a.m. And then I would watch the first movie again. So this I like, was like that. My, it's a good ritual. Yeah. I like yeah, that it was, a lot. It, it was it was a a special time in, <laughs> in the world of blockbuster in my <laughs> life, and uh, so I have no memory of what the Friday night movie was that week. But the Saturday morning movie was The Sixth Sense. Oh, geez. I don't know oh. why I picked this, and now understanding when the movie came out that I was like ten years old. Like this, is a, there's a bunch of questions I have before you know. <laughs> um, however. It is an experience of like fear that I like deeply had never experienced, and I I have told this story to other people because you know like the phrase like like basically like a shock like a scared shock where you like are just in absolute shock and you like can't move like genuinely happened to me, and I remember being like I can't move. I'm so scared, like my oh. like like jaw is locked open, and it was you know at the exact moment where the kid says, "Do you want to see where?" You know, I'm paraphrasing, but do you want to see like where my dad hides his gun? Oh, <gasps> oh, oh my moment. god, we were just talking about that before you came on. And I, I mean, I have like goosebumps talking about it right now, and it so upset me. Like I just, I, I was like, I couldn't move. I literally couldn't move, and I, I like. It like I mean, you know, I remember it like to this day and it still just like gets me. And I, I think at some I don't actually know if I finished the movie. Wow. I, I really I don't have a memory of I I mean I certainly did, but then you know, from that point I became just enamored with M. Night Shyamalan on a bunch of levels. Um one of them is I think he was one of the first people that I was aware he was the guy making these movies. You know, yeah. It's like a, he's a master at branding, which is also looking at, like, I don't know if there have been enough think pieces about, excuse me, about like M. Night Shyamalan's, both his, how do I describe it? Both his, both the, how amazing of a person he must be to overcome in like the ni- late 90s being a guy named M. Night Shyamalan, yeah. mm-hmm. getting famous making movies where he basically has like control. Um, in like, you know, a world of like unexamined whiteness, you know, yes. like is incredible. And it also is 
very fascinating to now in retrospect think about some of like the backlash around him and how he navigated that. And these are things that obviously were not happening in my 10 year old brain. <laughs> right. However, amazingly, and this is like, what a, what a great thing. I, none of that entered my brain at all. I was like, this is the guy who's making the stuff. That's like, that's the best and he's the best and he's the real deal. And he's like mysterious and wonderful. And, um, I just was, I just was enamored with him. And, um, yeah, that, I mean, so I guess I can tell you this. The second part of the story is that I then in, in my teens and I'm like, I want to make movies. I want to be involved in making movies. And I read a book, which I don't know if you guys have heard of this book. It's the most amazing book. I make everyone read this book. It's called the man who heard voices. Have you guys ever heard of this thing? No, no. Oh, I haven't. God. Okay. It's the best. Okay. So basically what happens is a guy follows M. Night Shyamalan through the entire process from writing to finishing Lady in the Water. Oh, oh, interesting. And it, I mean, this thing is bananas. Like, and Christopher Doyle, the the infamous, amazing genius who is, you know, one of the more eccentric individuals of all time who shot, you know, all Warren Carl Wise movies, shot Lady in the Water. <laughs> like, there's like all, it's like, you know, a fly on the wall account. Um, and in my mind, never knowing anybody who made movies, I just devoured this book. Um, and it is an amazing example of M. Night Shyamalan being, at least in the telling of the guy who wrote the book, like being possessed by the importance and the meaning of his movie and, and dealing with like people dealing with it and, you know, being like, how do I continue? And I think there's like a version where someone like an adult or someone who makes movies could read that is like, maybe not painting him in a great light. However, I read it and I was like, I mean, this guy is, he's, you know, this is the greatest. So yeah. anyway, long story short, I, I, I become aware that he's filming the happening and I don't know how I do this, but I, I like, you know, Google enough of it where I somehow find like the casting office and I basically send him a headshot every day for like six months. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and which is like also to be clear, like my headshot at 14 is like me in like a, you know, like a triple XL black turtleneck. <laughs> with like a photo like developed at Rite Aid, you know, that like my mom took. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. like genuinely, that's like what I was saying. I was like, damn, I'm like, I'm out of headshots. I got to go back to Rite Aid, mom. Like, we got to keep doing um, she'd be like, ah, we got to print more of these head, you know. And that's like a literal, and so surely it's like some, like, you know, 25 year old person was like, why does this child keep sending me photos of himself in this turtleneck? Like, like this must be stopped. And surely because of that, um, they decided to put an end to it and we're like, we're just going to call him. So somebody called me one day and we're like, are, I swear to God, they were like, are you, are you the person in the headshot? And I was like, I didn't really know what they were talking about. And I was like, yes, I am. They were like, okay. And it wasn't even like a, I now try to run this through my mind of who knows somewhat about <laughs> movie sets. And I'm trying to be like, what was happening on this day to have this call with like a 14 year old where somebody called and was like, do you just, I don't know. <laughs> do you want to come be in the movie? Like we're doing some stuff in the movie. You could come be in. And I was like, I'm there. So, um, my dad, uh, bless him was like, we're going like Nick's got a big part in the happening. He's starring with Mark Wahlberg. It's all going to happen. <laughs> So we go and stay in Philadelphia because he makes, you know, uh, makes all those movies in Philadelphia. And they basically have 
me and my dad in like the extras holding room in a school gymnasium for like five days in the middle of the summer. I'm sitting in the school gymnasium like with like my earmarked copy of The Man Who Heard Voices being like somewhere <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan is on this set. And um, they kept like coming in like a lottery and like pulling people. And then I, they, I wouldn't get picked. And then finally I was like, I don't think it's going to happen. And um, finally like a second AD comes in and is like, and like can probably see I'm like near tears. And he's like, what are you, uh, have you been picked for a scene? I was like, no, I haven't. <laughs> and and uh, he was, <laughs> he basically was like, all right, you're going to be in this thing. So they take me, you know, like American Idol or something. I'm like waving to my dad and he's like, go get him. And I'm like, here I go. And they like take me to the set. And um, man, this is just so awesome. I'm, I'm like in a little classroom and I'm looking around and now knowing what was happening is like the ADs were blocking it. And like the, the, the gaffer was like setting up and everything. And they just were like, get these fucking kids in there and just have them shut up. And just like, we're going to film and they're not even going to know and like, it's going to be fine. Um, and, uh, so that's what happens. And I swear to God, this is like not an exaggeration. I don't know how he did it. It's like a magic trick. I'm in this classroom. And <laughs> I swear to God, I turn around and like sitting on a desk behind me is M9 Shampoo. <laughs> and you're like, <gasps> I, 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 I was like, I was like stunned. And he was like, he was like folding his hands and just staring at me. And I was like, <gasps> And I like, I swear to God, he like could tell that I was like the man himself. And he like kind of nodded at me like, that's right. Like, I'm you're, here. We are. Anyway, we did a couple scenes and it was like John like was on with Mark Wahlberg, Mark Wahlberg. And they did all the scenes and all this sort of stuff. And then we did another one later in the day where everyone's like leaving the school. And then the craziest part of the story is to me, the greatest part of the story is I'm like, they let my dad, I guess, come on set through like a second, second AD to be like, come get your fucking kid. Yeah. And, <laughs> and my dad just, you know, sweet, unassuming dad is like, well, are you going to say bye to M. Night Shyamalan? No, like, of course, like we're here. What are you going to not say bye to him? He invited the you. Besties, Nick, like, right? Like, M. Night himself invited you. And I was like, Dad, like, I can't say bye to M. Night Shyamalan. He's like, yeah, you can. Go say bye to M. Night Shyamalan. And I was like, I don't know about this. But anyway, so I have no idea what the set is, you know, or who's doing what. But now I know that M. Night Shyamalan was in the middle of Video Village, like, surrounded by a bunch of ADs and PAs. And he's talking to Tak Fujimoto, who's the cinematographer of, like, Gladiator or something. Right, you know? right. And, um... And, like, he's, like, fighting with, like, a producer, like, a line producer who's, like, you can't film anymore today. We've lost light. And I, like, wander my little self in there. <laughs> and I can ne- – and I do remember at the time where I was, like, oh, I probably should not have done this. Like, this is not allowed. And a bunch of people just stop and look at me. And, <laughs> and you could tell that they're about to be, like, you know, like – hit this kid over the head or something, you know, like he's gone too far. <laughs> and truly in this moment, like I, I just look at and my channel and my channel looks at me <laughs> I'm using his full name forever. I don't even care if I meet him. He's in my channel. But, um, and he like looks at me and clearly gets everyone to not do anything about me being very off the beaten path, you know? And, and he like walks up to me and he's like, hello. And, like, you know, this is, like, chaos. There's, like, hundreds of people on the set. And I was like, hello, Mr. Ramon. I would like to thank you for having me. Oh, my <laughs> no, God. No. 
and I was like, and I was holding the book of the man who heard voices, and I was like, and I was like, I want to make movies one day, and it's because of you, and thank you so much for having me. And I swear, it makes me like really emotional, actually. And and he stops, and like clearly someone is about to get yelled at. Like the second AD is like, oh my god, I lost one of these kids, and now he's like bugging him. <laughs> like, can you imagine being like a, a second second AD in your job is it? Take these kids off, wrangle these and kids, and one of these little rascals like runs into video uh, village and is like, "Am I Shyamalan?" Yeah. Anyway, so Am I Shyamalan stops and he's like, "It's just been so wonderful having you," and he gives oh. me a hug, and he was like, "Best of, best of luck, thank you so much for coming," and I was like. Thanks, and my channel on, and went home, and it was the greatest thing ever. <laughs> I'm gonna get emotional. I'm that getting is emotional. So yeah. sweet. That yeah, is it's the greatest. The greatest. What a guy. And I wow. like. I swear to God. I swear to God. Like, I. You know, there were scenes in in my movie that we were filming. This is a whole other story, but like, there's a. I just constantly kept swinging and missing at uh, recreating a dance club. And every time I was like, man, I'm going to get 30 people in here. 56, 60 people are going to come. It's going to be bananas. Like 12 people would come, you know, and then I'd be like, oh, God. But also these are like 12 human beings who have like driven, you know, like right. an hour to be like, I'm going to stand in this warehouse and like listen. You play one song on repeat for hours. <laughs> and I remember being like when that happened. And this is very real when that happened. And I one of those days that we were filming that I just was like near having a meltdown. And like, well, somebody came up to him. He was somebody I know. I, I met, you know, a couple times and they were nice enough to come. And they were like, I just want to thank you. And I was like, wow, this is like really wonderful. And I, because of that thing, I was like, oh, this is like, clearly that dude was under so much stress. And he was like, I have a time enough to hug this 14 year old kid. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it was, it was a very early good lesson in, in how to run a set through hopefully being kind. So, wow. Yeah. Anyway, that's my whole long M. Night Shyamalan story. But <laughs> that's amazing. That is amazing, though. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. We Love stand M. Night Shyamalan. We stand M. Night Shyamalan. We yeah. do, but I'm going to take this in another direction now oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and say how much yeah. this film ruined movies for me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, God damn it, M. Night. No, I, I say that in jest, but like. Honestly, so this movie came out in 89, so I was 18, and I saw it opening night back in the 90s, where internet was pretty much non-existent, and I didn't watch a lot of TV, so like all I knew about this movie is that this kid could see dead people, right? And that mm -hmm. people seemed to like it. That was like literally my only tidbit going into this film. And so, yeah, the, the film scared me, um, obviously, but then... We get to the end and I'm thinking, okay, Bruce Willis is going to save his marriage, live happily ever after. And then, of course, the twist happens, right? <laughs> and I mean, I'm not saying that this is the first movie that invented the twist or, you know, mm -hmm. that, that used it. But for me, being an 18 year old that had never really experienced a movie that had like such a twist in, in it before mm -hmm. outside of like, you know, I was thinking I was trying to think back and yeah, I mean, you know, you watch like scream or some like slasher movies or some whodunit mysteries. And like a lot of times the, the reveal at the end, it's like, Oh, I never thought it would have been this person. But like, this was the first time that I saw a movie that had like a twist that recontextualized the entire film mm -hmm. and it broke my mind. 
um, <laughs> as an 18 year old, I was like, I was, you know, I was at that point where it came out in August. So I was going into my senior year. I already knew that I was going to study English uh, literature. I wanted mm-hmm. to uh, analyze. I had spent a lot of my life like reading text, reading books and like analyzing it and everything. And this was the first time I realized that I could do that with a movie. Mm-hmm. And so it was the first time that like I started to to realize that that a movie could do something to you similar to what a book could. Hmm. And because of that, and because I was such an impressionable 18 year old at that time, I ever move every movie that came out that I would go to afterwards, I would immediately start to dissect it immediately. So I could not enjoy films the way a lot of people are able to turn (laughs) off their brain. I would be sitting there analyzing it from the very opening shots. And if I could figure out that a movie had a twist and I could figure out, I was so disappointed by the end of it if I was right. And most of the time I was right because I was an English nerd and I like to study stuff. So this, I always, I laugh about it, but like this movie really kind of came at, at the perfect time where I would start to, in my adult life, overanalyze movies. And I mean, yeah, you know, I now review movies and that kind of stuff. So yay. But like, I can't turn my brain off when I go see movies. And I honestly blame this movie for that. <laughs> so yeah. damn it, M. Night. <laughs> well, isn't it like, I mean, wasn't like every movie for like years afterwards being like, just, just, just you fucking wait. Oh yeah. How, how every movie after this get. was like, you know, a twist you're never going to be able to believe. Yeah, or like yeah. they, every, Cause this oh, movie wasn't oh. originally marketed as that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't it was until like after the first weekends and, you know, then like the response came like, oh, gosh, there's a huge twist in this. And then it became like part of the marketing stuff. But like going into it and not expecting there to be anything in it mm-hmm. other than like, you know, it's a it's a ghost story. Right. I I yeah, you would see movies from that and it became like such a trend to we got up. We got a one up M night and like mm-hmm. be shocking because that's what made this movie in marketing terms, what made this movie such a marketable movie is that right. a twist. Don't let anyone spoil the ending of this movie, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> Go see it before it's, someone else can spoil it. Yeah. I think I knew. I think I also knew the twist. Oh, really? Oh, uh, yeah. Which is also one of the things that I love the most about the movie, which is like, I think it's like Robert McKee. I, one of these like screenwriting books is like, like it has like a special place in hell reserved for the sixth sense because it's like this is for summary it's something about like the ending it like invalidates the the structure the, the structure of the movie is otherwise set up and i feel differently about that which oh, is that too. The, yeah. the scene of them in the car is is the the like the the deeper twist is um the movie's the movie's twist which is that, like, people go into The Sixth Sense being like, I'm going to watch a smart horror movie that has a twist. And for me, the real fun twist is that, like, this horror movie becomes, like, this deeply, deeply human thing that's, like, about how we, you know, become ghosts ourselves and, and, and lose one another. And even, like, even Bruce Willis's whole thing when he discovers that he's dead it's not that he discovers like something necessarily deeply macabre like he just i remember does he discovers like his wife saying like you left a long time ago like yeah. what a thing yeah. to be like it gives me chills to even think about like it's not enough to be like you died in some you know the last petal of the rose fell and now you're you're doomed to the you know it's like um it's a quiet marriage that fell apart in like a row home in philadelphia like you're, you yeah. know and it's like what a wonderful wonderful it's just I just I am just so moved by 
Um, I feel this way about writers constantly. I, I'm, I'm normally, which, you know, English major, you probably, I, I become very moved by the, the mechanical choices that are made. Yeah. Um, because they're, they normally are testaments to like what is of value to, you know, the person as well as the character, uh, the characters. And I think like the value system of the person that wrote the sixth sense is just like so fascinating to me. And at the same time, like, once you're in that world uh, of like a highly emotional world, it just is like the, the stuff that he's able to get to is just so upsetting. Like the, the only part that eclipses the um, the I know where I keep my dad's gun thing is him getting locked in that closet oh. uh, with that voice and you're like that dude angry. It's just like so. Oh my god! It's like that's it's just incredible. I just am in awe of the movie. Well, and it's incredible how like you're saying he balances these horrific moments that have like sat in my head forever, and these really deeply like emotionally sad things. Like it's such a fascinating marriage of the two, and making you feel so many things, and scaring you, but also making you like empathize with these characters, and it's really quite well done. Well, I do sort of have another like hunch sometimes when I think about the movie because, and this is also me devouring whatever the you know story of him and making that movie is. Is it supposedly? I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this. Did you guys ever read about like what he was doing before that, and why he made the movie, and how it came to be, and all that sort of stuff? No, I, I don't. I, I might have at one point when I was obsessed with with the films that I, I don't remember. Yeah. Well, he was under contract with Harvey Weinstein. Oh. Um, uh, long before Harvey mm. Weinstein was Harvey Weinstein, and and the contract was like some sort of like old Hollywood like three picture deal or something. Right. It's like, all right, NYU grad, like you're you're ours now. And he directed a movie that was like a Marley and Me or something. It's like a, a like a talking dog, I think, or something. <laughs> <laughs> like it's something like that. I could be very wrong, but it's something in that world. And he basically was like. Or so he says, he was like, my life is going to end if I don't do something like no one's going to get me out of this contract. And he basically said to himself, the only way I get out of this contract is if I write the greatest screenplay of all time, (laughs) which is a screenplay, a very specific sort of screenplay must be written to basically make this, uh, this, this dream come true, which is one has to achieve like sitting down to read a script and someone needs to close the script and say, this is the greatest screenplay I've ever written, which is a right. whole different game. And, you know, quite frankly, the answer to that has to be the sixth sense. And I think he had an agent who was smart enough to be like, we're going to tell people that they only have two hours to read this. And sort of like created this whole amazing oh, yeah. smoke and mirrors of like at 7 a.m. on Monday, Disney, Fox, and like all these people are going to be delivered the sixth sense and they have two hours to decide. And it worked. He had like a bidding war. He got to direct it, which is insane. Wow. And, um, you know, however, the fun of this is to me is like, what part of the movie was he like, I just got to, I just got to win the screenplay game. And what part of the movie was he like, this is the movie I want to make, which he, there's a very real chance, which I guess is sort of how everyone makes movies, but there's a very real chance that he was like, I just want to make a movie about how we lose one another and, you know, our regrets and all this sort of stuff. And then he's like, Greg, but I got to get out of this contract. Okay. I'm going to make it a hard movie. And that, whatever that is, makes like a sort of masterpiece, <laughs> you know? And uh, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm a big uh, fan of the whole thing, you know? Um. So, Mary Beth, when, how old were you when you saw this movie? Okay. I cannot remember how old I was. Yeah. But I remember seeing it. 
when I was younger. And I remember watching it on TV, the censored version, because when the kid says, "Do I, can I show you where my dad keeps his gun? When he turns around, his head is just a normal head. Oh, and there's the music. And I was like, Mom. And she's like, oh, uh, this is what actually happened. And I was like, oh, because everything was censored on TV. I don't know why. I was like, just randomly on and my That's mom put it on. terrible. Um, I know, it was terrible. But oh, then... I would lose my mind. <laughs> I would lose my mind. And so I also saw this at an age where, like, I almost understood twist endings. So I was, like, confused because I was like, wait is he dead? And like, I had to have it explained to me. Cause I was just like Aww. a little too young to like really grasp the twist. And I was like, Oh, and then I watched it again when I like, when I was older, I was like, I get it now. <laughs> and then there are so many scenes in this movie that have just sat in my head rent free forever. Mm. But two yep. of them are when Cole is in school. I think it's the school and he looks up the stairs and there's people hanging from the just ceiling. Yeah, and then when they go to the funeral of the girl who like shows up in his tent, which is also <sighs> fucking horrifying when she's throwing up on herself and like. That, anyway, the way that scene is, is structured is so is so terrifying. It's Just so terrifying. The, I, I that's the scene that like that even as an 18 year old scared the living shit out of me because of the way that the camera like tilts up and you see the, the clothes pins start to like pop off and the camera goes down and you're oh waiting for someone God. outside of the tent, but no, she is sitting there inches from his face and vomiting. It's oh like, Oh my God. That scene. It's horrifying. But then the funeral, like you were saying, the sorry, the funeral, even what scared me even more is when her creepy little arm comes out from under the bed and grabs his ankle and she just is like that creepy face under the bed. I was also scared of monsters under my bed for a very long time, like more than most kids probably were. <laughs> so I think yeah. that's what got me. But just like those her haunting eyes underneath the bed when yeah. oh, she God. slides in the videotapes. Um, Wait, isn't that. I'm sorry. Isn't that the girl from the OC? Yes, it's a young Misha Barton. Oh, oh shit, it is, isn't it? It is a young Misha Barton. Oh my god, that's right. Yep. Um, wow. But yeah, that's like what I vaguely remember about seeing it. I, I remember just being terrified of the imagery and like just shocked by all that. But I don't like it. Like it shocked me, but I don't remember it scaring me that badly. That's that's my vague recollection of seeing The Sixth Sense. And then uh, I watched it again. I was telling Terry this. A bunch of my friends and I were having a good time drinking. And we were like, let's watch The Sixth Sense. And then we all laid on the floor, watched it, and cried. Really? <laughs> so it was well, like, I mean, Tony Collette. Is I was like, like <gasps> okay, I, let's talk you know, about Tony Collette and, and her character. Yes, because you know, experience. This, this is one of those things where I, watching this movie as, as a kid or for me as an 18-year-old and then watching this now as an adult is such a different experience because I have gravitated to different characters. And yes, let us talk about Lynn Sear, please. <sighs> I'm just – I mean I'm, I'm just astounded by it. I, I like – I think it's it's by far – my favorite performance of hers. It's one of my favorite performances ever. Like, how does Tony, uh, how do people keep, I guess not sleeping on Tony Collette, but it feels like it a little bit. Like, she has a yeah. consistently delivered fucking amazing yeah, it's performances. Like, like a, it's, it's fascinating because I feel like she's like so good 
that she become she's like a pinch hitter for unplayable characters. Right? And then now people are like, oh, well, yeah, she's just going to go like to 11 every time. And it's like, yeah, but also nobody else can do that. No one can Which do is, it like her. Right. Which is what's fun to me about The Sixth Sense because she's doing such – I mean, let alone if this person was like – she's like from Australia, right? Yes. <clears throat> okay. So like let's say she wasn't even from Australia. She does like a whole th- – she's doing layers of things. She's like do- – she's making a whole person from Philadelphia. She's doing the eyebrows. She's doing the hair. She's mm-hmm. doing like the fingernails. She's doing – you know, and there's like just such a sense of – I don't – here's here's my biggest – I watched the scene again this morning, the, the car scene. Um, and I just couldn't get over her her ability in the scene to convey how much she's listening to Haley Joel Osment. Like she's like her like she there's like a childlike it's like Steven Spielberg directing kids you know all, the fun of all those movies are, are, are you're watching the kid experience them and it's like you just see this open you know eyes uh, bulging or they're crying or they're like you know like opens your sort of heart that's like how she is and that scene she's so delicate and just listening to him and just can't believe what he's saying to her and. Um, Man, I just am, I just think it's just so, so 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 beautiful. That scene is um, it's it's what left me a blubbering mess when I watched this again last night. Uh, and it's what made me realize that like I went as a kid, I never really th- thought this was a sad movie. I was just more drawn to the the, the scariness and the mm-hmm. the you know the the idea that this kid could see ghosts. And watching this last night, like. I'm not saying that this movie is a queer movie, but that conversation in the car, like, I think it plays differently for for queer kids Mm. because you have like you have Cole, who through the entire movie isn't wanting to tell his mom about that. He's different, that Mm. he can see ghosts, that these ghosts are haunting him, that he's unlike everyone else that he goes to school with. And he doesn't want to tell her because he's afraid of 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 hurting her, I think in some ways, but afraid of like, she's not going to believe me or she's not going to accept me or Mm. something like that. And so when you have that moment and you have like her reaction where she's like, like you said, she is listening and Mm -hmm. she's processing. And then there's that final acceptance of like, look at me. And she uses that Mm -hmm. refrain that she's used through the movie. And Mm -hmm. it's just like, she accepts him for who he is. And it's like this, this, this self-actualization moment for him that I think it, as, as an, and as an adult who has had, you know, the coming out issues throughout his entire life, it like really resonated for me in a way that I was, I was so not expecting. Mm. Wow. I and never it, even thought about that. Yeah. From that lens. It just was a, a really powerful scene that I watched last night and then just like, I'm just bawling yeah. as I'm like watching this movie. Uh, what a, what a performance. But even before that, I love, I love the sequence where like she finds the, the, the marks on, on, on Cole's back and yeah. she like is trying to hold it together and then she dials a number and she's like, hi, this is Lynn Sear. I'd like to talk to you about your boy and his friends keeping their goddamn hands off my son. Like yeah, she has such a, <sighs> like a living, boiling, like protectiveness over him, which again, it's like when you think about the, what do you get from different characters? You could just as easily have written up a, a mom character that was like, couldn't give a shit. You know right. what I mean? And you could, you could start the screenplay and be like, oh, right. This is like going to give him even more of a thing. And in fact, he places, the mom as someone who is like 
deeply protective, which mm-hmm. is like sort of a, the, an opposite choice. And but still makes it as though that even though in all of protectiveness, she t- she's like, you know, she's she's that's the hardest person to convince, I guess. Um, yeah. 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 What a film. What a film. You know, and I he, he also contrasts it with I mean, you know, there's there's the mom that is poisoning her daughter. Yeah. And so you have like these these two right. contrasting that like even strengthens her her um her character she it's it's like a perfect even though she's only in like one scene it's -hmm. like a perfect foil to the the overprotectiveness and the protectiveness that that uh lynn has toward her son that's it's such a it's such a a subtle thing that i don't like i didn't even really think about until just now but like i it's it's there and I, i think it's it's these little tiny moments of of how m night has constructed this this plot that really make this more than just a movie that has a twist or a movie mm-hmm. about ghosts or a movie that is scary. Mm-hmm. And that's why I also love the village, but that's just me. <laughs> I oh, love yeah. the village forever. I skipped soul to go watch the village. I think if I remember this correctly, hell yeah. Yeah. Rock and it was pretty rock and roll. And like, I was like, yeah, this is a weird movie. <laughs> and I'm skipping school and, I don't know what's going on with Joaquin Phoenix. And I know people say like this is M. Night Shyamalan's like only good movie or his best no. movie. And I think it's his best movie. Yeah. But I don't think it's mm. his only good movie. No. By no. any stretch of the imagination. And like while I'm not always a fan of some of the things he creates, you can't you can't deny that this guy has balls. <laughs> like he is just yeah. like ready to do the weirdest shit and isn't afraid to. And I, I admire that quite a bit. He, uh, he also has such like a um, like a formalism, you know. There's yeah. like he has a real serious technical rigor that he's putting his movies through. Uh, and I I, I, I want I haven't finished the first season of Servant, but I watched <laughs> I think like three quarters of it. I, I love like, the fucking Servant. Oh really? It's so See, fucking now good. I, now I have to finish it. Oh my but god, I, it's I, so good. I was like, oh, he's he's like he's in a whole other thing now. He's like being. Now he's like playing. He's like, I feel like he's like, um, I don't know. His like camera rigor. I feel like he's like entertaining himself now, being like, how fascinating can I make this? Which is, I excuse me. I think it's like, I don't know. It's a very entertaining answer to like the uh, the wonder the wonderkind that he was of so being like, okay, now I'm gonna really deal with the grammar and the mechanics of this and. I don't. I love. I love pretty much everything he's made. Um, he's always interesting, and I'll take that. Always interesting. He is always interesting. Anything. Yeah. And he hugged me, so I like. I don't care. That's true. <laughs> he did. He hugged you. That's yeah. such a sweet. Like he will now be my favorite free hugs. Just I know of that story. That is like. The... He's also like very tall and very beautiful. Is he really tall? I, like, I I got short well, dude vibes from I him. I don't know. I mean, I think you know because I, I I was I I just was also a kid, so who knows? I could have been <laughs> like he's the tallest, most beautiful man I've ever met. But at the time, I really was like he's very tall and not like dark and strange he just was like incredibly charismatic you know even just watching like direct people i remember like man this guy's amazing but oh have you guys ever seen this is the other thing i wanted to bring up did you guys do you guys remember or have you ever seen a sci-fi documentary made about him 
No. no. Do you guys know about- oh my god. Okay, this is the best thing. So, sci- the Sci-Fi Channel made a documentary called "The Buried Secret of M Night Shyamalan." You guys have never heard of this. <laughs> no. no. Sounds like he's some kind of like. I don't yes, even know. This is, this is like the zenith of like M Night Shyamalan. Uh, Two thousand four. Uh, like, you know, being the strange, like Prince of Darkness. <laughs> And the a Sci-Fi Channel made a documentary called "The Buried Secret of M Night Shyamalan," which was a mockumentary that was marketed, at least to my, you know, whatever fourteen-year-old brain, as a documentary. And it was like an investigative report on what the hell is up with this M Night Shyamalan guy, and we're going to get to the bottom of it. No um, way! And they have like Johnny Depp in it, and like a bunch of people being like, "Yeah, there's something fucking real weird about that guy, M Night Shyamalan." <laughs> And it's like insane. And I swear to God, the fucking twist of this documentary is that the guy making the documentary discovers that M. Night Shyamalan is in fact dead. (laughs) (laughs) And they put this fucking thing on TV with like no disclaimer for my 14 year old self. And I remember why I was like so hyped about this thing because I remember I saw like a commercial. You know, and like literally was like looking at watching the TV Guide channel every night, like watching it revolve back around and be like, why does the Barrett Secret of M. Night Shyamalan guy come on? And finally, when it came on, I was like, what the fuck am I watching? Like, are you telling me M. Night Shyamalan is dead? And there was like a period of that after sitting there where I had to like, you know, I think in a, a part of my brain was like I had to discover and also like naturally invent the mockumentary where I was like, Maybe this isn't real, but <laughs> they marketed it like it was real because it's entertaining. See, now and I want to know. In fact, alive. I want to know how many of these mockumentaries the Sci Fi Channel has done because uh, we talked about when we had um, Dax uh, on for Blair Witch that I saw the Sci Fi Channel documentary, Curse of the Blair Witch, and I thought it was right. a real thing. Yes. About the Blair Witch. And so now I'm curious, how many of these have, have, has... Yeah, were they just blasting out on, like, the, you know, <laughs> the uh, the video drum of, like, <laughs> what the sci-fi channel in the 2000s? Yeah, it was like that. I remember being like, what the fuck am I watching? Like, this is, like, I'm getting a bad signal or something, and I'm catching the the buried secret of M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> As a, as a found footage fan, I feel like I have to watch this now. You gotta watch it. I think it's entertaining. I bet you it's so entertaining still. I think I pulled it up because I told somebody this years ago and they were they were like, you're making this up. There is no <laughs> fucking documentary. I'm seeing it on IMDb. Pop, Two hours and five pop. minutes. Holy what? shit. That's, that's beefy. That's yeah, that is like, beefy. Like Johnny Depp is like at the Chateau Marmont like smoking club cigarettes. <laughs> and he's being like, there's like fucking, I don't know guys, like you're getting into some spooky shit. You might want to turn around. Deepak Chopra <laughs> is in this. Deepak Chopra's in what? Yeah. Is M. Night Shyamalan in it? Adrian Brody. Um, I think, see, I can't even remember. I think he's like, they're trying to like get an interview with him or something. He, he is He is listed in the cast. Okay. <laughs> so I want to know about that. I want to be like, what the hell happened? Who pitched the, uh, making a mockumentary about you that you were dead has this happened M. Night Shyamalan I want to work for I sci-fi just, I just like I just feel like all they do is come up with like the craziest ideas and be like yeah alright let's just try it yeah. like <laughs> why the fuck not <laughs> I did have a, a question so sure. there is like a relic of, of the fact that this is made in the late 90s when 
they're at the play and Tommy turns around and he's like he's 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 talking about he's starting up the play and then the camera like transitions and all of a sudden all the audience members pull out these giant beefy bulky VHS camcorders to film. What? <laughs> the entire like cast of like they're all parents watching their kids mm-hmm. play right and so like they're all filming this with these ginormous over-the-top camcorders and i remember those from that era and i was just curious because you guys would have been a little bit younger than me did your parents ever do that well for me i'm the youngest so i you know I could have like fallen down a well and they would have, they, would have, <laughs> <laughs> they were like, you know, presumably if my brother burped, they were like, we gotta, we gotta get this on tape. And I, I <laughs> dig through these old VHSs all the time. Whenever I go home, um, it's like the, my first order of business. I'm like, let me, let me get these things out. <laughs> and I'm just like waddling through the background and they're like, Oh, he's, he's going to be all right. And also it was just like a monster <laughs> as a kid. So, um, wait, what's the, how many a, siblings do you have? I have two, okay. two, two older. Yeah. So I was, they were like, yeah, he, he won't break himself. He's fine. Leave him alone. <laughs> Which I tried my best, but yeah, they, they did. I mean, they did have a bunch of them. My dad had like the early, you know the late nineties stash and just like a big VHS camcorder. Hell like, yeah! Let me, let me get all this on tape. But. I so I'm the I'm the oldest of three siblings. Uh, so tons of footage of you. I, bet. I was the one that yeah. got left. <laughs> I was the one that everyone was scared was going to break herself <laughs> and got all the video recordings. But I don't remember having a giant cam and anyone having a giant camcorder. I remember having a smaller. Yeah, but I don't remember any of the big giant ones. Oh, these are like they're ready to, to like yeah. film on a movie. Like, like the those, size of the these. ones that are in the movie are like news, like going to film the news <laughs> yeah, so on their funny. shoulders. And it got me thinking, like, you won't see that anymore because everyone will do that on their phone. But yeah. like, <laughs> that's so funny you say that. Sorry, this is like a tangent. I used to work at a video archive, and I they were showing me like all the different like different generations of like eight millimeter. Super 8, really? blah, blah, blah. And, like, how much shit they had to carry to film. And it was just, oh. like, they. it was just, like, that was how they did it. Like, these these news, news like, reporters and experimental filmmakers and, like, kind of, like, guerrilla reporters would just carry on this giant equipment all day. And I'm like, wow. All it's right. bizarre how that has changed so much. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's why they needed, like, literal vans. They were like, well, otherwise, what the hell are we going to do? We got to pack this entire van to record me, like... Being like it's it's breezy outside, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> no, yep. it's like somebody's. You know, now we're like watching the insurrection off of somebody's like Apple iWatch. They're like, this is just live. <laughs> I don't know, guys. Oh my god. <laughs> Sorry, a little insurrection content for the day. For, for <laughs> there you go. <laughs> gotta keep it. Gotta keep it relevant. A little spicy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do we want to wrap up and give this movie a rating out of five? Sounds good. All right, Terry, how many I see dead peoples out of five do you give the sixth sense? Uh, you know, I I think I give it four and a half. Um, okay. This I, I think this movie is is really is, it's it's really fucking good. And what I love about it is the fact that you can watch it for the twist. You can like analyze it and take a look at rewatching it and seeing like how how did they pull off this twist how did they do it like you can watch it for that you can watch it because it's scary you can watch it because of the heartfelt drama that is actually unfolding i i think that that's that kind of says something that you can watch this movie 
knowing how it's going to end, knowing from the very beginning what's going to happen at the end and yet still be moved by it makes it more than just a gimmick that a lot of a lot of critics try to not not like writing critics, but like critics of M. Night Shyamalan, like to try to throw it at his movies that it's all about that twist when it's it's really not. And even if it is what I really liked this time is how sad the opening scene of this movie made me feel watching oh, no. this we skipped Donnie where, Wahlberg I'm sorry Donnie Wahlberg <laughs> where that well that whole scene but even before that when it's him and his wife and they're having a conversation and she's she's pointing to this plaque and she's like see all of your everything that you've done all the sacrifices you've made have been worth it because now you have this plaque to be memorialize all of your accomplishments. Yes, you've put things second, you put me second, you put all this stuff second, but look at your accomplishments. And we watch this knowing that in two minutes he's going to die. And so it kind of adds this whole like veneer to his character of this like almost nihilism of like, yeah, look at all of your success, but what was it for? Because mm. you've you've just you're you're no longer here. And everything mm. that mattered you were holding second best. And so that whole scene, just knowing going in this movie this time, knowing what was going to happen, because I think this is the second time I've seen this movie. I don't think I saw it after. Whoa. After the mm, theater. Okay. So that's a fresh watch. Yeah. So just watching this at that point, just like really, gosh, it just it really hit home how emotionally powerful this movie actually is. And so for that, mm. I got to give it four and a half. Um I see dead people's out of five. What about you, Mary Beth? What's, what's the metric again? Sorry. What? Um, how many? Uh, how many? I see dead people's out of five. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to be clear on the on the stakes here. Continue. Um, I would also give it a four and a four and a half. I see dead people. So I see like I see dead people's, and then just I see as the half. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's my stupid joke for the day. Yay! Um, uh, I Mary Beth. <laughs> Um, I, it's hard to put into words how this movie has affected me and how it has, it's one of those movies that I'll think about randomly and still get chills and how it's a movie that introduced me to M. Night Shyamalan and got me really interested in his filmmaking and that kind of filmmaking and watching it as an adult a couple of years ago and watching it like for this podcast, it's just like so impressive like we've said like it's able to scare it's also able to make you cry it's able to make you feel all of these amazing feelings in such a seamless way and Haley Joel Osment is um the creepiest sweetest little boy that I've ever seen in my life and yes. his performance is so good and he makes me so sad and I just want to give him a hug yeah <laughs> um, me too um Nicholas you have the yes. final word how many I see dead people's out of five do you give the six? Look, counts? after the hug story, everybody knows this thing's game five. I see dead people's from me. <laughs> I'm surprised it's only five. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. That Can makes you sense. Imagine? I told that story. I was like, yeah, but uh, there's some flaws in here. I'm but not going to appreciate that. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but here, okay, so my reasoning is, is separate from um, uh, the tender moment we shared, but the, my reasoning is. I think this movie is one of the best examples of something that captures the cultural zeitgeist um, mm. in a way that is just uh, – you can't repeat. Uh, I think there's a very, very small collection of these movies, um, Star Wars certainly being one of them, and, and 
you know, you could you could probably come up with maybe one a decade. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, I spent, obviously, I've spent like an inordinate amount of time thinking about the, whatever the cultural zeitgeist is uh, overall and also at the moment. Um, it must it it must constantly obviously say something about us that everybody you know even more than what a great ending um there's something in that movie which everyone is you know there's a feeling on the tip of everyone's tongue and the the year it comes out and this movie happens to say it perfectly and when that happens everybody basically is like this is the movie this is the movie um and when that happens i think it is a, a cause for like the efficacy of, of, of film and art uh, that we've all found something that can express this idea, um, whatever it may be at that period of time about us and about everything else. And it manages to do it. So I don't have, I'm when I see it now or think about it now, I'm thinking about both of those things at once, which is, you know, a time capsule um, and something that just kind of caught everyone's mind and I'm, I'm, I'm moved by it. Um, uh, and if that is a thing, you know, if you watch that movie back in that context and you think about, you know, it's a movie about people losing one another and dying and refusing to go. And uh, we, you know, don't have enough time, all these very, 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 very human things that keep you up in the middle of the night. If that's what everybody wanted to talk about the year that movie came out, what, like what a, this says very good things about us, I think, surprisingly. So for its uniqueness, um, there will never be another like it. And um, I, I love the movie. So I think oh, it's yeah. five I see dead people's for me. There you go. Cool. Or in the words of uh, Dr. Crow to to um, Cole after the play, it was better than cats. <laughs> that line killed, especially in 2021 post Man. cats movie. See? <laughs> well, thank you so much, Nicholas, for uh, for joining us to talk about the Sixth Sense. Where can our listeners find you, and what do you have coming up you'd like to to plug and share? Well, I'm. Uh, it was a pleasure. First off, this is what a wonderful, wonderful time this has been. Um, no. And people can find me hiding behind the anonymous avatar of my movie on digi- on social media, uh, which is at the Wanting Mayor on all all of the social things. And the film comes out February fifth, and it will also we're also releasing a behind the scenes documentary on February fifth, uh, which shows a little bit about how we made it, and um, you know, uh, one of the other aspects that I briefly wanted to say in a way i don't know i mean i you know i'm sort of spilling some of my cards here we finished the movie november 3rd i think um and cassandra baker passed away at the in the end of november oh my god so it has been you know a constant um process of figuring out uh you know, whatever, whatever, all the things required to figure out when somebody, uh, when you lose somebody. And I, uh, you know, it's also very hard to talk about, which is something I keep now talking about because, you know, the act of publicity and talking about movies is right. a business. <laughs> you know, right. yeah. Tickets to a movie, which I very desperately want people to see because Sandra spent the better part of a decade working on and she certainly wanted everyone to see it as well. Um, so I'm figuring out a, also, you know, you have to talk about her cause she is the movie and she is, um, you know, the person that made it. And, uh, so I, you know, love her 
deeply and, and miss her. And we're all dealing with this like bittersweet thing of this incredible artist and friend. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I resisted rewatching the movie this weekend because I, for, I don't know, again, this is, I guess what I was saying in my five out of five, which is that there's something in this of a bunch of people being like, hey, you know, I'm not ready to go. And, you know, what becomes of our lives and all these wonderful things um, that hopefully bind us together. And I the thing I keep saying is we have very, very little time and life is precious. And so uh, I love this movie for that reason. And um, thanks for letting me get to talk about these things. And I'm trying to find ways to talk about Cassandra as much as possible. Of course. Uh, in in reference yeah. to the movie as well. So, <clears throat> wow. Well, I'm yeah. so I'm so sorry that I mean like I know it's weird it's like weird to say sorry but that's yeah. fucking awful yeah and I'm glad that's, we can talk about her at least that's been tough. Yeah. pay tribute uh, to her and I, yeah yeah well um uh you know we're lucky I think that the, 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 we're able to make things that have our lives in them uh, yeah and yeah uh, so I have you know, I'm a big believer of it's impossible to know what goes into something that you make. Um, and you know, I could sit here and be like, uh, I love the sixth sense cause I have had terrible nightmares my whole life and I made a movie about it. And you know, the sixth sense means that to me in, in very many ways, which it does. And I can sort of give you the psychoanalysis of the, these things add up to this. Um, but I don't necessarily believe in that. I don't know where these things come from and I don't know how much of ourselves get imparted in them. It's a deeply mystical process. So, um, I don't know. I'm very lucky to have something that, uh, has that long relationship and bond and collaboration in it. So, um, I'm in that sense, like very excited for people to see the movie. Cassandra was also a painter, um, and has the whole, whole, whole body of work that at some point we're hoping to be able to put together and, you know, put out and show as well and to be able to celebrate it. So, yeah, I'm. I'm getting. I'm. I'm working my way <laughs> through. Yeah, talking about this stuff. So, I'll forgive the rambling. But yes. So. Oh. <clears throat> well. No worries. Well, everyone, then please, for Cassandra, for Nicholas, yes, yes. watch this movie. I. <laughs> this is like a very weird transition. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. <laughs> Don't want to yeah. seem insensitive. Trans, Listen- trans, transition away. I'm <laughs> Listeners, um, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What was your experience with The Sixth Sense? Please send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm McGaley Dreadful. And of course, please don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you everyone out there for listening. Stay safe out there, but most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.